0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast.
1: And I'm Pete Wright, and it's
0: Shakespeare in Grief Day. (laughs) Today we are talking about Minute 46, which begins with Grumpy Thor and ends with Laughing Loki. Back on the show from last week, it's Nathan Blackwell and Chrissy Lenz from the Most Excellent 80s Movies Podcast. Hello.
2: Hey, how's it going?
3: I look to be in a gaming mood today. (laughs)
2: oh oh, good excellent i'm grumpy thor
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes we are back having this uh you know a couple episodes now where we're going to get to talk about kind of this conversation between thor and loki up here on this uh clifftop which we i think have decided it's it's canon for us that this is the location where steve and the howling commandos were looking down on the hydra train so here we are, um, and this, we get, you know, toward the beginning, we get kind of this answer to how Thor got here, how Odin had to conjure, conjure dark energy uh, to get him there. I don't know, I guess, I don't know if we want to start there, but I think it's an interesting place to start. This whole idea that Bifrost is gone, and now they have to use dark energy to travel around the universe. And I don't know if they had before this particular moment, or if this is the first time that they've tried something like this. But this is... Uh, But that's how he got here. And I guess it's also kind of a setup for Thor The Dark World. We're going to be, you know, starting to get these little nods of things that they're setting up for future films um, as they kind of continue all of this.
1: Can I ask a a question? Yeah. Mostly to you, Andy, because I wasn't on the Thor season regularly. Um, When the Bifrost was destroyed... Was there any indication that there was a backup transportation system in the form of dark energy? (laughs) (laughs) Like, did they ever, did Heimdall say, aw, shucks, I'm out of work, but thank God you guys have this dark energy thing. Yeah, no. It's never brought up
0: uh you know, I mean I know obviously we'll see in later films that you know, they can also you know, there are spaceships and they can fly around in spaceships and he's got his his boat that's pulled by his big goats and all that sort of stuff. So I mean there are other ways of getting around. It's just Bifrost was incredibly handy as far as getting you to places very quickly. And uh, and I guess that's kind of what they do with the dark energy. But it does. I don't know. I guess the nature of calling it dark energy, which we've kind of been hearing since since the first Thor film, when we hear that Eric and Jane are are looking into. But this is and, and then, of course, the start of this film, you know, we, we've got the joint dark energy uh, division. We've got this. They are. Legitimately, now working on studying dark energy in a greater capacity. Although, really, Eric is kind of using it apparently to uh, to get Thor or to get Loki here. But I, I don't know. Dark energy is kind of the thing, this thing that's been going on. But the nature of calling it dark energy, especially in a world of magic, kind of makes it feel like it's something that you shouldn't be doing.
3: Yes, right. Yes,
2: You know, I feel like by calling it dark energy, there's got to be some limited supply of it or some trade-off or consequence for using it. Like there's a balance, like the more we use of this, the more like dolphins die or something like that, like a (laughs) trade-off, you know, or, or this is the (laughs) equivalent. like, you know, it's like, you know, people, you know, people in another multiverse start crying every time we use dark energy, or we only have like a one week trial to use. Dark energy, and then we have to pay for a subscription after we do this.
1: So we can't
2: do any more dark energy after this, Thor. Those payoffs are some of the most creative yeah. payoffs yeah. for using dark energy
0: that I, I'm not even sure that people at Marvel have come up with. So we need more of those.
1: Thor's like $2.99 a month forever. I like to own my dark energy, but I don't want to rent yeah. it.
2: No, it's Asgardian money, two ninety nine. dollars <laughs> it, It's a lot for us. Jeez, it's a lot for the us. The
1: market is not great right now, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> so that That's I can like understand. 50 cents in Mid guardian bucks. Right, right. <laughs> a
0: whole new angle to dark energy that uh, we'll have to make sure we're talking about this when we get to Thor The Dark World. So yes. really, there's a subscription how much, model. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're paying the dark elves. Maybe they're the ones who have come to collect. (laughs) Well, it's it it is an interesting element that is brought up here. This idea of traveling via dark energy, Um, and also I will say, I know with the Bifrost, they seemed to have like specific way stations where they had to land every time. Like why in Jotunheim did they have to land like way far away from everything? You know, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but. I guess with the dark energy, Odin can be much more specific as far as like where he wants Thor to land. Although I guess this is a question: did he did the dark energy take him all the way to the Quinjet, or did it take him to Midgard? And he has been now flying around with the power of lightning and Mjolnir to get to the Quinjet.
2: Mm-hmm. It's like a paper map. Turning it upside down. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Damn it. I went the wrong way. I've I've been crossing Africa. I need to get up to the Mediterranean.
3: I I prefer to think of it that way, (laughs) that he's just like swinging... Swinging the hammer around, like, whoosh, 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 whoosh. Logan. Right, right.
2: Stepping into, like, a KFC asking for directions. What country is this? All countries have KFC. Maybe this is why
0: he's so angry when he finally gets there. He's like, Uh I've been looking for you for hours. (laughs) Do you have any idea? I was
3: in a gaming mood when I first got down here. Now I'm not anymore.
0: Uh, All right. Well, this is also this point where this is the first time Thor has seen his brother since he um, he let go of him and uh, well, since Loki let go, uh, which certainly ties into a later point in the conversation that we're about to have. But this is the first time he's seen his brother. And this whole idea of they mourned, everybody was mourning you, Loki. And I I find this to be an interesting conversation, especially following the season of Thor, because there was this bond between these two brothers, even though there was this also butting of heads, especially once Loki decided to usurp the throne and everything. But even by the end of that film, Thor was trying to save his brother. Thor wanted his brother to still be there. And Loki really kind of had a shift in that first film from the point where he realized he was a frost giant and and all of this sort of thing. Um, how does this play as kind of a continuation of the relationship um, with these two brothers from that film for the, for the three of you?
2: Yeah, well, I feel like this scene really serves, like, two purposes, like getting us back up to speed on what everything happened in Thor, and then also kind of, like, putting us into what Loki's, like, motivations are for doing all this, which is, like, I thought my, you know, I thought my dad and my brother were my family, and then it turned out they weren't, and now I've got to kind of, like, make my own thing going on, you know? And is this like the mm-hmm. first of three times that Thor will eventually say, I thought you were dead, or is this only does that only happen like two times?
3: I think it happens many times. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we have it here, we have it in
0: uh in Ragnarok. Ragnarok. I is that I
2: think that may be it. And then there's a third time he dies, but spoiler, it's for, for good. For, right. Until right. the TV That's show. In, at in, at in, least in one time. Right. Until, it's yeah. not, <laughs> yeah. until he meets them. Uh, on the TV show, yeah, yeah,
0: right. So who knows? Maybe they're waiting for a third one when when they figure out where the TV show is
2: going to take it, Maybe somehow Loki will end up back in mm-hmm.
0: in the universe.
2: But I, I think it does a good job of kind of reminding us what were the stakes and what were the things that they really cared about. Even if you had seen um, the the last Thor movie, it helps refresh you and get you into their their what they really want yeah coming on the heels of
0: that film and i know we had uh you know captain america in between but uh that was also jumping all the way back to the past to kind of catch us up with this particular new hero who's involved in the story. But is there an interesting element here for any of you as far as this film, because of the specific follow-up to Thor, and following up really to kind of this Thor-Loki relationship, Loki wanted a throne in that film didn't get it, he jumped off the, you know, into this wormhole, and now he's trying to get a different throne, and yet again Thor is trying to stop him. Does it feel like there is an element to this film that had it not taken 45 minutes for us to finally get Thor into the film, that this kind of feels like, oh, this kind of feels like Thor
3: too. I think, yes, there's so much playfulness, but also that sort of broodiness whenever you get those Thor Loki moments. Um, And then as soon as they're back together with all the other Avengers, that sort of all gets dropped. So this is our opportunity to feel the two of them together and uh, kind of remember what Loki's motivations might be. So uh, I think so, yes.
1: Yeah, I think it's really a great sequence because it gives us a chance to, it reminds us that even though these guys are Fighting and at each other's literal throats, they're still family, and they both struggle with what it means to be family in their own way. And that struggle is just magnified when they're in the same physical space with one another. Like it's, it's. I I really love this. Like as much as I was just sort of joking about landing in a ball of thunder and lightning on a plane in the last minute, like this for Thor to me is enough of an emotional journey. To transcend Midgardian justice in the story, like I believe it, I buy it, and I like it. it th- anything short of this deep personal grief uh, and anger that he thought his brother was dead, and and they mourned, and he's not dead that that would be superfluous, like it, it would, or superficial. This is it's enough to me from what I know of Thor at this point in the MCU to to like to truck with that i i buy it i believe it and i'm i am sad for him because i can imagine you know the way it's portrayed what that would feel like yeah i i feel like the the, i
2: i get why he comes in so hot wanting to know about the tesseract because like if you found out your brother wasn't dead and he stole your dad's car yeah then you would come in pissed about the car because you're now angry rather than relieved and elated because you now shifted all those feelings that you felt to now blame. And, and now he's trying to pull off some new thing.
3: Do you guys also think that there's a little bit of like reminding us of all this like sort of petty Loki stuff kind of gives us a hint that he's not the like he's not the evil bad guy in the same way that Thanos eventually is like that. He really is, has like a sweet nougat center. Yeah. That, that,
2: that's, um, a, that's a good point because they, he is the villain of this movie, but at the same time, they're not going to go, they're not going to go the route of making of like changing the character, and making him go so dark that he is the unrelatable villain. They're keeping him as the as the likable, villain. Forgivable. Yeah, they're they're yeah. they're leaving the door open that he is a likable, forgivable villain that they may turn into a, kind of a good guy later on.
3: Like in the Fast and the Furious, where the bad guy always becomes the good guy in the next movie. Exactly, exactly. it's like that, with
0: Loki. <laughs> even even though, he, lest we forget, he nearly just killed an old German man um, right. for standing up to and him. And almost. But yeah. Good thing almost. He didn't. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's an interesting element to that. I, you know, I think all of uh, everything you're saying definitely makes sense as far as Thor, his anger, all of that. And I do think that in this conversation, there we also do see Loki's side, this whole idea of the fact that, hey, by the way, did he tell you that I'm, I'm adopted and that whole thing? Because I, I think that there's an interesting element here between the two brothers where Thor... Uh, doesn't necessarily see that here, and I know he'll use the adopted line as a joke later in the film, but the idea that they really are brothers, and this whole thing, the line that he has, we were raised together, we played together, we fought together, there's this uh, element of Thor trying to, or telling his brother here at this particular point, none of that matters, You, you have been and always will be my brother— um, yet Loki is the one at this point who can't see past that and that really kind of like he hasn't had he's still midway along his character's journey as far as where he where he ended up in the first Thor film when he realized all of this about uh, his parentage and everything and decided he was gonna take the throne and so yeah, I think there's an interesting journey that Loki the character will take over the course of the franchise. And I like it. I like seeing these two characters after having done a whole season of them. I really kind of uh, felt very connected to them and their relationship. And I enjoy having these moments here that, you know, I think for the most part feels like it's written in a similar voice than, than we had in the first film. I do think that sometimes... I struggle with the Tignataro voice fitting the characters as much as I think that they had been written previously, but um but largely I think it's okay.
2: Yeah, I feel like they are a little more Shakespearean in in this from somebody
0: who may not know Shakespeare as well as Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. "recompense
2: for your imagined slights." Right. right,
0: trying a
3: little too hard. Trying a little too hard. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> what do you What do you all think about this
0: line that Loki has? I remember you tossing me into an abyss. I mean, that is very much not what happens, and it's because it, Loki very deliberately lets go of Thor, and I, I found that to be an like, is he just saying that to jab at his brother, or does he truly? Is is he really remembering it in a different way now? Like I, I was I'm kind of surprised that he looks
2: at it that way.
3: Agree. But that's his that's his trick, that's his game is to twist it so that it's always Thor's fault, right? Yeah.
2: So he so so that Loki
1: is the victim.
3: Right to always be playing that little brother victim part.
1: Yeah. Also, like straight out of the narcissist playbook, right? Like right. that's that's kind of his jam, and like that's also his damage, and that's what makes Hiddleston's portrayal of him so interesting. Is is that he is he's you know he is always in a gaming mood. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> always he's, he's, in a gaming mood, <laughs>
3: he's just a little giggle monster. He's, <laughs> he is, always... he's a
1: he's a, it, like everything is a smokescreen, and I think that's I, I think that's one of the things that makes him super compelling.
3: I agree.
1: I agree. I will say, though,
0: I don't know. I'm just saying I don't think everybody is always writing him that way. Like, I, I legitimately True. think as they're writing this character in these scenes, they're writing it as an actual conversation between these two people. And I don't think that I think it becomes very easy to always say with Loki, oh, he's such a trickster. Everything he does is a lie, and he's always manipulating people. But I don't really think all those, all the screenwriters over the course of all the projects have been doing that. And so sometimes I think that it ends up just being an easy way out just to write him off that way.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Andy. And I think it is, it is shorthand to be able to get away with a lot of stuff with Loki that might otherwise be less interesting just as a way to get through a scene. And I don't, mm-hmm. I, you know, to me, I know there are I, I, a lot of people who have trouble with it, but to me, the most sort of interesting and complex portrayal, like letting Hiddleston have the reins a little bit, is in the TV show, where you get to see exactly your point. They're not writing him as complete uh, a complete trickster, because that is absolutely one-dimensional character development, and it's not any fun, ironically. It's not a fun way to write a character who only games people like there has to be some intention and this scene works for me i think part of the reason it works for me when we're looking at it minute by minute is because it's it's deft and short a little bit out of context it reintroduces these two characters that i long to see together and then it moves along and you know we'll see where it moves along but but i think your point is very well taken yeah now uh,
0: we're going to have uh kind of exploring this conversation about um thor's role with earth and the mid guardians on it and loki's uh, interpretation of that I, I i guess we can i don't know maybe we just save that conversation tomorrow uh, for tomorrow because there's a lot more of that uh, in tomorrow's minute but at the end of this minute thor says so you take the world i love as recompense for your imagined slides no the earth is under my protection loki and of course loki laughs at that um I mean, yeah, should we just save that for tomorrow? Because we're going to get a lot more of this conversation about Earth ruling, all of that. Yes. Okay. Then the only other thing that I wanted to check in with is what do you all think? We haven't really talked about this yet, but, uh, you know, I think it is valuable to just note in the context of looks of our heroes from one film to the next. I mean, we know Tony is still in his Mark Six suit that we saw last in Iron Man 2. Captain America, of course, has his newly designed duds that, of course, Phil Coulson had some say in. Thor, his look looks similar, but it is a little bit different. There are little changes to it. One of the biggest changes is, of course, that he is now sleeveless. And we're getting, of course, his his <laughs> biceps and everything. And I just wanted to check in. How does it look for all of you as far as Thor's new look? <laughs> oh, and let's just say his eyebrows are no longer bleak. Yes, that's the thing Thank I God. noticed. It's Hallelujah. Like <laughs>
3: Oh, thank goodness!
0: yeah, we had a lot of conversations about those last or two seasons ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But what do you think? The sleeveless look? do you like it
3: um i I would say I'm into it andy <laughs> uh yeah I, let's let's pop those sleeves off. I mean, he didn't do all of those push ups for nothing <laughs> I think the more they let Chris Hemsworth shine through the costume, the more real Thor seems because. You know Chris Hemsworth is like a Norse god hiding in there, you know, so the more real he's allowed to look, the more compelling I think he looks, the less uh the less the suit has those big like um
2: circles and
3: rows, yeah. The, the more it's just him and his and his real his real body under there, the more he seems to be this beautiful, magical creature and not just like the costume is saying everything we want to hear.
0: We're, right. We're like the modern day superhero costumes that are designed with a lot of extra padding to make these these actors look like they're a lot more muscular. We're actually going, right. oh, he actually is that muscular. Is the, that's kind of what you're saying?
3: He he actually is. Well, but also like, you know, not bleaching his eyebrows and not, uh, you know, kind of changing his face as much as they did in the first one, like letting it look more like a man kind of like an archetype, right?
1: Like, that's what Thor is. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think making him like letting him show off the 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 archetype that he created for this for this film, for this character, for this body is, is awesome. I have a harder time with it now that I've watched Limitless, the, the series on, um, mm. you know, it was it Disney Plus yeah. where I have used Chrissy, you're nodding. Have you watched it?
3: I have. Yeah.
1: I mean, that was bonkers, that show. I mean, he put himself through all of these things over the course of a year to extend his life, ostensibly extend his life. And some of the stuff we learn is just, like, how extraordinarily hard it was to do, or it is, to do the stuff that he does to his body and to make this -hmm. this, like, make it all work. And, um, and, and I think it was it was in one of the final episodes where he's like, you know, if they want me to do that again, they can put me in a muscle suit. Right? Like, yeah. I, I feel like there are a lot of lessons learned. And I think I have as an audience member, like, the gift of hindsight is greater empathy for what the actors are being asked to do. And to the same extent that we talk about the the special effects artists who are being worked so hard, like, yeah. there is extraordinary damaging damage that you can do to your body, to, you know, dehydrating yourself, to make your skin look all tight and and uh, like all of these these things that I think are really really challenging so it's it's a little bit hard to watch the mm-hmm. big muscle bound like I I wonder if we're in a phase that is coming to an end I think so it, yeah
2: it, it's it's been during our lifetime it's been an interesting kind of new double standard to where you as a male action star have to get just totally shredded yeah for w- whatever the part is like Paul Paul Rudd never needs to get shredded Okay. No. And he got shredded for Ant Man, and they cut both of his like
1: shirtless scenes. You know, it's like it's yeah. right. It's but you know he looked so much more human in Quantum Media. Like I, I don't feel yeah. like he looked fit, but he didn't look destroyed. And and I think that's important. Like look at at what Kumail Nanjani did to himself. And uh, like th- anyway, we're we're getting off the topic of this minute, but I do think it's I notice it as dated now and uh, i this is kind of a new awareness of mine
3: yeah the six pack abs are are not enough abs you got to have 12
1: 12 packs you have to have the 12, <laughs> all 12 yeah
2: uh-huh it looks too small in this
3: <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> well it will be interesting to see like as they continue uh, where is that line going to suddenly shift as far as people not necessarily needing to be quite as as buff? Like, is Mahershala Ali going to have to go through any training as Blade? Is uh, is Kumail Nanjani if if they bring him back in a, another Eternals film? If they if they do, is he going to be as buff as he was? Like, where where is that line? And and you know, are they going to slowly kind of um, you know cut that from something that they feel is as much a priority? You know,
1: yeah yeah yeah.
0: So. Well, uh, this has been a good minute. We're going to finish this conversation, talk more about uh, their precious earth and all of this in tomorrow's minute. So, uh, so, Nathan and Chrissy, tell everybody again about where they can track you down out there.
3: We're at the Most Excellent 80s Movies podcast. It's the podcast where a filmmaker and a comedian revisit the 80s movies that we think we love or maybe even completely missed. Uh, with these, our modern grown up eyes to decide, do they hold up? How well do they hold up? Are they embarrassingly bad? Do we have to be ashamed of how much we loved them <laughs> back in the day? Um, and just to kind of take a funny look at the films of that era from the very smart perspective of Nathan, the, uh, you know, genius filmmaker who knows all the filmmakery stuff. And me, the comedian idiot who just says uh, silly
0: things. (laughs) All right. So what are some examples of some films that you both have revisited in which they've held up really well? They haven't held up at all. You're embarrassed to still love them. What are some examples?
3: I think Time Bandits is one uh, that we actually had Pete as the guest for, which I had never seen before. And it holds up terrifically. Didn't you think, Nathan?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I thought it was just as bonkers and funny and scary as I remember. And and one that did not hold up well <laughs> was Teen Wolf. Oh, my God. Ooh. Oh,
1: that's coming soon. I haven't listened to it yet. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, yeah. yep. Spoiler alert, it does not that. hold
2: up well.
3: Oh, no. No,
0: no, it, doesn't. no yeah. it doesn't.
3: It's not even embarrassingly enough bad. To be funny to watch as a bad movie. It's just. Right. It's not
2: problematic. It's just a little flat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Dull. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, check that out. We'll have the link for that in the show notes, everybody. You can check that out along with everything else for Nathan and Chrissy. Both of you, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We'll be back again tomorrow to talk about Minute 47. So, uh, with that, Pete,
1: thanks as always. Tomorrow, I'm the comedian idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, True Believers Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.